This is What Color Is Your Drink show. So hey, hello everyone. and welcome to the third episode of What Color Is Your Drink podcast. You can find us on podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and 15 different platforms. So please rate us so we can display our rating, good or bad. Today I have a very special guest, Brian Tracy, right? From Trouble Brewing yeah. and Bartender Collective. And we have Jordan Duncan, yeah. a very good uh, friend that I met him through social media. And yeah, he's also involved with the Bartender Collective and yeah. Copland. Should I mention that? So, would you like to introduce yourself and Jordan? Yeah, um, so my name is Jordan, Jordan Duncan. Uh, I've been a bartender now for about eight years, and eight years, maybe a little longer. And I've worked at quite a lot of places around, around uh, Dublin mostly. I haven't worked outside yet. And I've been a member of the Bartender Collective for almost two years now, I think. Yeah. Yeah, about two years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say two years. But we've been going since 2020, and you were in shortly afterwards, after we met in a supermarket in yeah. during lockdown. Uh, so it took a while to meet everybody during the whole process because everyone was <laughs> separated and you couldn't meet anybody. So we ran into you in... Uh, Duns in town, everyone wearing masks and yeah. lim- limited amount of people in. I was like, oh yeah, need to catch up with a bit. It was a great fun. project we're working on. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So uh, my name is Brian. Um, I've been involved. I founded the Bartender Collective in 2020. Um, myself and uh, Fabio, who's in Dockers there as well. Yeah. So we had discussed it for a while, and then when things were hitting the fan back in 2020, we decided it was probably the worst time to do it, but also maybe the most important time to do it as well to kind of work on something that was valuable for bartenders when a time when everyone was out of work all of a sudden and I think it put into light how you know precarious the career is and even though I said previous to that sort of when you're often in the industry working you just kind of go day to day and you kind of flow through you know work and going out late and enjoying all the aspects of it but then when it's just shut down you realize like you know there's no ownership or kind of control over the career necessarily um so yeah that was a big basis of kind of starting it at that stage as well as kind of bringing that element of ownership of a company and a, and a brand that we are creating ourselves um and bringing bartenders into it and putting them at the front of it that they can kind of control the destiny of what they're doing and kind of um ultimately end up owning part of that brand you know yeah so how I know your product is also on uh, Kickstarter? Yeah, yeah, we did that back in 2021. It just I think it was summer 2021 we ran it. Um so yeah, we ran the Kickstarter for a couple of reasons. Um it was I suppose first and foremost was our whole, the whole company is self-funded so there's no money behind us and obviously you know that that has its own difficulties because there's you know there's huge costs involved with starting a company, starting a brand. Um but primarily, you know, we, we wanted to kind of create new products. We had pre- we had already produced the first batch of um, of gin, of our London Dry Gin for Trade Secrets, so that we wanted to start with that because we could sort of then start selling it, start funding the company through the sales of the gin. Um, but what we were finding was to move on to other projects was very difficult to fund. We didn't have, you know, again, you know, sort of 10 grand lying around that we could use for... Um, putting into something like the rum which was going to be a, a longer term project because we wanted to finish it in certain casks and um, it wouldn't be something we could sell instantly so um, we decided to do the kickstarter which allowed us then to kind of put the word out as well into the wider sphere of the of the country and a little bit and um, it was great actually because yeah we got a lot of support and a lot of um, like the word sort of spread amongst a lot of journalists as well and they sort of did articles about it and uh, we did a few other podcasts as well and a few other things that kind of helped just sort of make it a real thing. You know, it had been going since the end of 2020, for, so it had been maybe six months in operation. Um, but all of a sudden then it was kind of getting this really nice platform. And it was uh, obviously that it, it, the main thing, primarily it gave us the 10,000 that we invested then into making the rum and making a second batch of gin. Um, it all, you know, it also subsequently paid off loads of like different bills and stuff. You have obviously design work had to be done for labels, and there's just a, there's a huge amount of hidden costs as well with sort of setting things up. Um, so it kind of gave us that little bit of breathing space to grow and you know welcome new bartenders in as well and kind of just bit by bit piece this like new business together. So 
yeah, from that then we created the Navy's drink gin as well off the recipe, tweaking the recipe from the, the London Dry recipe, recipe that we've done. Um, and that went on to win another World Gin Award as well. And so it was kind of just the, the Kickstarter was a real crucial part in the, the journey, I suppose, a couple of years ago. It was great, you know. So you have a gin, the yeah. Trade Secrets Gin, yeah. and you won an award in, in 2021, right? Yeah, uh, 20, tw- yeah 2021. And the um, Navy 2022. And the Navy yeah, and we've won. We, so we've won seven awards now in total. Actually, it's about it's. We have two on the bottle. Um, we we primarily put the ones on the bottle. We so we, the World Gin Award was our first one, which was huge. Um, it was actually the first three bottles came off the line. Basically, we took them. It the deadline was like the next day to get them to London for the World Gin Awards, and we were trying to run this batch just to get it out there, and then. We, we didn't have labels even ready for it and stuff so we printed off like temporary labels and stuck them onto the bottle um, and just like they weren't finalised they had to be done again later and stuff but just just did whatever we could to get them in a case and send them across on a courier to London for the World Gin Awards deadline and uh, they got there the next day and just in time and everything there was all this kind of calling back and forth to see that they arrive and it, would they give us an allowance of an extra day and stuff but um, yeah they included them in the awards and for us it was a really we wanted to do some like external validation of like what we had done i suppose to see did anyone else think it was good as well because we had our team of bartenders involved and we had done lots of blind tasting we had done sort of a lot of comparative um tasting against other what we considered to be some of the best gins in the world and we thought it was great <laughs> we were doing a lot of this stuff we thought yeah, this is really tasty it's really good but you know, you're kind of thinking, is this just us thinking it? Or are we in like an echo chamber? Is this us, like we should put it into a big award thing, see if anyone thinks it's any good. But like on our last tasting session that we did as a group, um, you know, it, it won out like massively in a, in a group of really, really competitive gins as well. And we were really pleased with it. So, yeah, we sent it over. And I suppose our best, we were hoping it would get some sort of a note, like, you know, something saying like a, it's there and it was you know uh, even a any sort of a an indication it was any good basically or um must be good if they, you won the so many awards yeah yeah well that was way above what we expected really yeah. like i mean at the time everything was still locked down so usually what would happen was if you're nominated or if you think you're in the running they invite you to london for like just a gala dinner and a, an award ceremony but that that was 2021 it was still closed down so everything was online it was this award ceremony online and you know, you get the invitation to to join it, and I was just sitting at home watching it um, with very little expectation because, like, you're going, they're going through the categories and the countries, and it's like these huge brands, like, and I'm like, oh god, I felt like really foolish that we had sent in like our, you know, temporary label like stuck on <laughs> glued onto a bottle. I was like, oh, what were you thinking? Like, um, this was a mistake. But no, then it was going through each country, and then it came to Ireland, and it was like the winner, like gold medal trade secrets gin i was just like what <laughs> and then it went really fast it went wow. on to the next country and i was like did that did that happen or did i just kind of dream that happened like i had to wait for like 10 or 15 minutes before they kind of went back and gave like a summary of all the awards and it was sitting there on the list of these like incredible gins from all over the world and uh and then i was like refreshing the page to make sure it was on their website that it was there because i didn't want to share it in case i was like this is real, right? This is actually, <laughs> this is real. We did win. Like, it wasn't a, a blip. Um, but yeah, it was there and it was, it was it was huge then for us. Like, and again, just the, like, the sharing from our friends and family and uh, bartenders and all the connections that we had had, like, I think that kind of really generated the excitement of the whole project and kind of got it out there uh, in a big way. And like, yeah, since then, we, we've had some other really nice ones. We just won recently the Global Gin Masters um, gold medal as well. Nice. But we yeah we won awards in the New York Spirits Awards, um, San Francisco, London, um, the Bartender Spirits Awards. Um, I think I'm missing one. But there's yeah it's been a great couple of years for the awards. I suppose we're pro- not sure we're, that we're finished with the awards. That we're probably I don't know how many more we de- we'll be entering because like it's pretty costly and uh, time consuming to do mm-hmm. all these things. And uh, but like it it's great that it gives you that platform of like. This is a good gin that we it isn't. Uh, we're not just making it's it. It's a great achievement because you did it especially during the pandemic. You yeah. won so many awards, and it's a great way to start. So, and you put so many bartenders together, and I see it's a very diverse group of bartenders from the industry. Yeah, and yeah. which they, which I it kind of make me feel like 
I should definitely speak more, more to these guys. Yeah. And you like you love to see it. It's a, it's just a, it, that was just naturally the way it happens. Like, cause I think when you look across the industry, there's just there is people from everywhere and every background in the industry. It's not like there was no thought went into it from our point of view. <laughs> it was just that we dealt with the people who we knew and who were kind of uh, we thought were really good at what they did and. Um, yeah, reliable I assume good uh, yeah. good knowledge yeah. yeah exactly and there is just there is like when you start getting into dealing with some of the bartenders like the the depth of knowledge they have on spirits is like mind blown way beyond my own like and um, I, I think if I was doing this myself this would be nowhere near that's the thing like yeah. it is it's it's really cool working as a as a group as a network you know and getting the kind of collective you know knowledge of all these people who have when you when we brought that group together at the start like there's very few gins that anyone hadn't tried you know <laughs> like when you think yeah. of anything that comes into the market someone has really tried it or you know has an opinion on the flavor profile and they can give you the breakdown of how to use it and what's it like so and we have one of these uh, good bartenders here jordan yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly so was it easy for you to join the bartender collective group to like it was easy to convince you what make you wanted um, to join that part of a group it was it was very easy to to join and come on board. I I came on after the gin had been made and released, and when we, when we were working on the rum, that was my first day was walking in to to a rum tasting and, and like a, a blind panel tasting and and meeting with a with a representative from the brand we ended up going with as well, and I walked in and sat down and had all of these people who I've known for many years working I've worked with a few of them as well, and I was like oh you guys. I know you guys all have this brand. You started it, and I, ju- I just walked in and sat in a chair next to everybody else, and immediately it was v- it was very nice to be so quickly uh, welcomed into it all. It helped that I kind of knew the people, but to sit down and um, they, I was kind of treated as if I had been there from the start. It, there was a little bit of people where you know we were passing stuff around and talking ideas, and they'd ask me something about the last meeting or, or something from a few weeks back and they were like I wasn't here then and so it was nice to just really get in and not feel like I was joining something too from too far behind okay so it was easy decision yeah so how many bartenders in total there uh, in, in total in the bartender collective so L- far loosely probably 50 odd I suppose like yeah. there's different le- sort of different degrees to which people are involved uh, in the group as well so there's probably a dozen like that are very actively involved in what we do and the kind of um, the processes of making the products uh, so far it's quite a small group in that sense of like so who've been behind the, the gin the rum the talking like with producing liqueurs or whiskey in the future but there's a small group kind of that would kind of lead a lot of that and then it's an open like invitation group as well. Like so if it works, yeah, there's no there's sort of there's no fee or anything involved. There's nothing like uh, we've always been very much like that's one of the key elements of what we do is that there's never like any transfer of anything from a bartender into the group because I think in the early stages people were always joking like what is it like is it some sort of pyramid scheme or something? It was like yeah yeah, yeah of course yeah, you know um, so yeah we're always kind of cl- well, actually jokingly we were saying like it's like a pyramid scheme except like you know there's no money involved from like from bartenders going in like you know there's a it's the opposite kind of way the only flow of money ever goes from the company to the bartenders so it's like that could be a great name for uh, your product yeah for, <laughs> pyramid scheme. for, for your the reverse pyramid scheme yeah yeah, yeah it's, it was uh, we were very conscious of it because like, i think there is always that well anyone who's been in the industry for a while has a pretty healthy cynicism i think of like anything new and sort of starting into this like you know oh yeah another group another whatever um it'll all go wrong there's also like and there's there's so many scams and different things within the industry and different kind of fake brand startup and different things that like you know i'm trying to hide what they are behind it or it's not really produced where they sort of say they're being produced now so we wanted like complete transparency what we're doing um and yeah for that like we just sort of said like it is open to everyone coming in if you want to join but there's no it's you're completely like a free agent in this like there's no like if you start getting involved with the selling the gin and everything you can earn from it but there's no pressure of like we don't tell you how to do it it's your own time to do it and it's like you have your own career you know your own bar or wherever it is you're working at the time like you know it better than anybody else so you can sell it there um 
in in whatever way you want to do it. We're not going to come in and tell you. Even like even down to the we don't tell anyone what the perfect serve is. You know, I think in gin there's always that thing. Everything, every brand that comes along has a perfect serve, and it has to be with this garnish, and it has to be with this um, tonic and everything. We don't go into that at all because like it's kind of like, we just look at it. It's none of our business. <laughs> that's that's okay. the bartender's business. They they're there every night. They're running their own place, so it's, it's up to them to decide it. You know. Oh, that's great. And Mexico, like, do you face any, face any challenges with? Uh, Coming, you started during the pandemic. You won awards. Do you, do you had any challenges with the gene? Yeah. Uh, well, like it's it's very difficult to just start from scratch. I suppose like there's just lots of big players in like yeah, it's a monopoly yeah. out there. Oh, but yeah. So yeah, that, mo- more so since the reopening, like kind of this time last year. Um, when things were closed, it was mostly being we were selling a lot of the stuff online, and the way we did it was uh, each bartender had their own. Uh, code so like a discount code so if somebody bought on the website and used the bartender code the uh, the bartender received their a commission for the sale and then they there was also a, like a 10% discount actually it was a 20% discount for a long time um for the bartender code so all almost all of the stuff during lockdown was through that way or else through a couple of um off licenses that were partnered with um that would sell it for us and then um yeah, so that, that like we didn't really have to. There was no bars to deal with, you know. Um, but when things reopened, and our main thing was like, oh, we'll work with bartenders who, you know, have kind of control over the selection of gins that they have on shelf. But actually, then the big brands kind of came in and just like hammered everyone, <laughs> like and just kind of they gave out huge deals and lots of stock and all this kind of stuff and and lots of POS and various other small things that they kind of came in with. But they um they made it very difficult for bars to kind of justify selling anything except for the big brands because like the the big GP that they were getting on some of those products were phenomenal all of a sudden because they were getting deals and stock and everything um, and, and the pressure was definitely there from the big companies to cut down on the selection of gins I think as well mm. um, so yeah we found that with the reopening it was tough, very tough and you know we just kind of we allowed, like we just sort of said go like to the bartenders again we kind of go back to everything we do was like does it add value to our bartender members? So, like, in that early stages, when there was great deals and offers going and the bartenders and the bar were benefiting from it, we just said, like, like take the deals, work away, like, we'll come back to it. Like, there's no problem. Like, we're not... We don't have um, huge running costs to the company because it's... We don't... It's not our own distillery. Yeah. We don't have a huge, like, office and, like, marketing team. We don't have any of that. Like, there's no... Like, essentially, there's no overheads <laughs> to our company. So it's you, Fabio, and the 50 bartenders in yeah. Jordan. Yeah, and it's all it's all done on, you know, selling and moving and building a brand. So, like, it's not... A, there's nobody takes, like, a wage from it on an ongoing basis. You have your job at, in your bar or whatever you're... wherever you work, in a restaurant, in an office, wherever you are at the time. Um, so you're not getting, like, an ongoing... It's just based on your sales, so... We, we we were happy to just sit there for six months and let those deals expire and then okay. go back in afterwards and say like yeah cool like take the deals get the bar back on its feet like get your job back and like you know keep everyone happy and go for it and then we'll we'll chat to you in you a while like, and there's no problem we're not gonna because we didn't want to put people's nose out of joint with like oh we have to sell our stuff and like you know we're under big pressure here to sell our product so um we weren't like we didn't have that we had the product sitting there it was ready. To, it doesn't expire. Yeah, it's no problem. Uh, it's not getting any worse. It's it's exactly the same mm-hmm. now as it was. You know, so um, yeah, we were happy enough for people to just make their money, do their thing, get back like steady in their employment, work away, because um, that added value to their career. That's like that's the get base goal at all company to add value to their careers as bartenders. So like, our pushing it wouldn't have added value to them um, necessarily, yeah. unless they're in a position to sell it, which was great for us. But no, that's great, and uh, I like how open you are about it, and. Uh yeah, that's great thing. Jordan, did you face any challenges? Let's say you work in a place and you wanted to have the trade secret gene and uh, um, talking to I, the I had a few. So the I the one spot I worked in, we, I was I was I was allowed eventually to get the bottle in after weeks of speaking with my my general manager. What is the challenges going through that process? Through something like that, it's especially there's a really big issue with a lot of venues around, I suppose everywhere in the world, but it's there's a lot here in Dublin that 
most places aren't standalone venues or companies. They're part of large groups. And when a bar is a part of a large group, a lot of things you would expect the staff or the management to be in charge of, they actually have no say in. So for the most part, it's usually someone sitting in a company's head office and their job title is in some way involves purchasing or procurement. And this is most of the time someone who's never worked in a bar or restaurant or with alcohol before. And their entire job is to is basically to get the cheapest deals they can from whoever it is they're stocking. And so then I was bringing stuff in. I gave it to my manager. He said he really liked it. But he had to get permission from someone in head office to be allowed to put in an order for it. And the few times he had tried to put in the orders, he was given a, a very quick phone call and oh, what's this? It's not on the list of stuff you're allowed to have. I'm taking it off. And eventually... We were allowed to get it into the bar. It was going very well. I was going through, in the first month, I think it was it was a bottle a week, and then that quickly went up to two bottles a week. And so it was going very well. I then left that bar to work somewhere else, where I was able to get it in pretty quickly, because we had we had some slight eases of what we could order in there, and I was, at a, one point, I was going through about a case a week. So I, I was really quickly starting to move some, some bottles. That's a busy area as well, right? Yeah, yeah, but then that bar closed, and I, I had to wor- I had to move to another bar in the company, where I wasn't exactly allowed to just order in whatever I wanted. And when I spoke to the manager about that, he is a person who's in a position in one of the busiest bars in the country, really, where when it comes to getting stock and getting deals, he has the pur- the purchasing power to turn around to a brand and say, well. Basically, I want you to give me the biggest deal possible or I'm, it's not going to be in one of the busiest bars in the country. So to a lot of to a lot of brands, they can afford to take that loss because they kind of have that built in as marketing as well. Be, just being in there is very good for them. And for us, we're not trying to be the next biggest brand on the market. Like we know what it is we're doing and trying to make a deal like that in, in such a venue would basically cut out all of the costs of giving any benefit to our company and to our bartenders. So at some points, when you go in and you try and talk to someone and you're like, we have this really nice premium product, people love the bottle, people love when they hear the story of someone explaining it to them, and we're not trying to get in here and be your be on your optics and your pouring spirits, and we're not going to be giving you bottles for 15 euros instead of instead of you know whatever it goes for through through the bars whereas they're basically trying to get deals as quickly and easily as they can yeah and uh as working in the field i face a lot of these challenges and yeah it's uh, unfortunate yeah it's it's part of the game mm. uh, i have a question for brian here mm. so for example i wanted to start a brand a lot of people a lot of bartenders a lot of people who do business they want to start their own brand and you have you well, you are founder of Trouble Brewing. Uh, no, I didn't found Trouble Tr- Trouble Brewing, <laughs> but I am one of the owners now. One um, of them. So Stephen uh, founded it. Who was the other the primary owner of everything is there is um, Stephen Clinch, and he yeah, I joined with him a few years ago as one of the owners um, that came on board. But yeah, so I I, I didn't start it from scratch at all. I only came into it as it was already there a while, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's been that's a, that's my other side of things. It's been great, yeah. like for last year. I really want to try the Mandarin Crush or the oh, yeah. fresh <laughs> pr- fresh prints of the Gildare. Yeah, yeah, fresh prints is always a popular one every year. It's a really? huge like release. So I wanted, let's say, I wanted to start a brand, my yeah. own uh, I don't, whiskey brand. Let's say gin, because whiskey yeah. you have to wait. Yeah. So what is the process? Because you have to go through labels uh, to find a manufacturer for bottles. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you have to find the factory. Like, how is it easy? How difficult is? If, if it was it's easy, everybody will do it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I, and I've seen lots of people try different ways. Um, you know, and there's no like right or wrong way. Obviously, I, I, I studied it a lot and tried to figure out the best way of going around about it and like um, how it would work for us. Um, there's lots of like practical things that need to be set up. Um, just obviously like you know things like registration of the company and you know how you're going to go about dealing with all the billing and what you're going to do and that side of stuff and then you know you're getting into labels and design and um, brand name and and uh, websites and stuff um i think like 
on a very fundamental level, like the most important thing is like you need a central thing that directs the whole brand or you know the whole company like it, the way that we kind of went about it was like it has to add value to somebody or something like you know it has to be a reason for it and if there's no reason for it there's no point like so you have to like for us the bartenders are the most important thing that's like so everything came back to this like after lots and lots of discussion lots of like you know late night discussions and <laughs> having drinks together and chatting these things through and then like thinking about it over coffee and talking but like the, the fundamental thing we go back to every single thing we do is like does it add value to bartenders and that's kind of like the, that's the group that we tar- like they're, they're our members they're the people who are, are part of the company so that's everything is important you know it's positive you know another thing is like the customer is always right or all it's going yeah. for us is like <laughs> that's not true like the bartenders are the people who know what they're doing that, that they're the ones that are most important so we, we focus on those even like, we don't really focus on consumers in our sense it's the bartenders are the, are the people we focus on, and um, like for yeah, for so for us that's our kind of mission, like our goal, mission, everything. Like and it, it it means everything can come from that. So like when we're going through the name, the trade secrets thing is like that. It's like this sort of sec- you know insider trading thing within the company uh, or in the bar t- trade, and like um, so that name sort of stemmed from that thing that it is us working together as a group in the industry and sort of creating this thing that is a little bit of a secret and then you know growing it that way um but and then you know design wise like the label every you know we kind of everything stems from the fundamental like what why are you doing it and what's the so did you find somebody to do the design or you did it yourselves so a lot of it fabio i would say did a lot of it like so the design is um like the artwork background we wanted to have like that big splash of colour. I think when we looked across a lot of gins in the market and it was all very dull, uh, muted colours, like very kind of... Uh, there's there's a real thing with gin and the kind of old world look. Yeah. So like, you know, lots of like deep navies and dark colours and that kind of stuff. And um, uh, yeah, it was just kind of... that That's fine. But like we're this is a new brand again. So it sort of stemmed from like what who we are and what we're doing. Like so we're not an old company we're a brand new company it was we're not trying to pretend to be like the oldest gin in in ireland or some you know, like some backstory that's made up of like oh we have the well in this place that's like you know <laughs> there's none of that this is a brand new company started by bartenders that's like that's what it is so we didn't have to create a fake story and then we as part of that we could be as like vibrant with the colors and we've expanded it even further now for the rum so the rum has been created by a designer called alana mcdowell who's like done this class design backdrop so the idea with it is that on all of our design there's that white section in the middle with the trade secrets and it says like what it is so it has Irish dry gin on the other one it'll have rum and then um, that small white section will stay consistent across all the products but the background artwork can change completely so um, we want to give each new brand new, new product to a, a new, another artist and they just basically come up with the backdrop as a blank canvas and then that artwork is their own to kind of you know mold and do whatever they like with it so um yeah as we go into other products that's going to be the plan to u- like use work with more artists and give them just a free reign to kind of go do what you think is right for the bottle and on the background do whatever you think you mentioned something about hidden costs uh what is the what hidden costs um i suppose stuff like just registration of different things as like you know um, the tax is pretty high as well uh, tax is high yeah i mean i think a lot of people underestimate the duty costs like of alcohol when you're producing um and just how much per bottle goes to just duty um to pay for the like so you know that's why you see a lot of new vodkas and gins and stuff that are 37.5 percent instead of or 37 instead of uh 40 percent because if you bring down the alcohol slightly, it does make a big impact on your overall cost, and therefore you make a little bit more per bottle. But like for us, like we played around with, ta- like how did it taste at thirty-seven point five, and it didn't taste right. Um, the mouthfeel was was weaker and wa- more watery, and like the botanicals don't really sit right at that level either. And it's very like it just didn't feel right. So we kind of went up to fo- went to forty, which is a very standard you know, uh, ABV for London Dry Gin, for gin in general, I suppose. So you d- we didn't want to take any shortcuts. And um, that was a key thing as well for the production of this, but also everything we've done, same with the rum and like how we we left the rum. The rum has been in Sauterne casks finishing for 15 months now. And um, 
I think initially we were hoping like maybe we would pick up lots of flavour after like three months and we'd put it into market, but like it just it wasn't right, and we wanted to give it as much time as possible to make sure it was absolutely spot on. And with the gin, it's like we could have left out certain botanicals. Did they really add a huge amount of extra? But they probably added a sm- just enough that gave it that bit of interest or a bit di- different. And like I see it all the time when like people ask us about like what's the difference between big production versus small production for spirits or for beer. It's generally like the willingness not to cut corners on the quality. Like being small in and of itself is not a virtue. Like you know, it's like okay. you can still be small and cut corners and be like really crap at making stuff. Like, but if you're small and the consumer or like in this case the bartender like knows exactly what's in it and they can talk to us as like the owners of the company and say this is this is exactly what's in it. We this is how we made it and we didn't cut any corners making it. Like then you know they. There's they could, there's a bit more comfort in that as a consumer as well rather than sort of I've because I've in my past like career as well I've sat in big companies and like they're more than willing to cut corners if there's a cost saving for it like they'll move the sourcing of a of a really essential ingredient to a whole new place and it's like is it the same quality well no but it's like ten percent cheaper so we'll just get it and you're like what like that's the whole basis of your product is that you know that's a key ingredient and you're willing to just move it like that even though it could impact the quality of the product um but you know for us it's we we always wanted to create products that the bartenders will be proud of when they're standing there because they're the ones that are consumer facing they're the ones that are going to be there handing it to someone saying this is good and their reputation is on the line at that point so like if it's not good they're going to come back and be like, yeah. Yeah, or the customer will know the return. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, like, we were, we did pour over every aspect of this stuff we've done, and um, I think that's why the whiskey is going to take so long as well, because like, we want to make sure it's exactly right. Like, And that's a world of, like, endless opinions, and, like, you know, people have such strong opinions about what's good and bad of that world, and, like, again, cutting corners just not wouldn't go down. Especially well. in Ireland. Yeah. With whiskey, yeah. you kind of... Uh, you know, yeah. so it has to be spot on, so that's going to take a long time. Great, I, I'm I'm learning a lot today actually, <laughs> and thanks for the bottle by the way. It looks amazing. Yeah, no uh, Jordan, so y- you work in the industry, so you work with the trade secrets with the Copland, yeah. Copland, Copland, Copland. So how I find it difficult, like you know, to keep up with the events that is going in the uh, in the industry or with the Dublin Barter Exchange. Like, what's your thoughts? in the industry, in the community, with the bartenders. It's like, for me, sometimes it's really hard to know what's going on or mm-hmm. you have to know somebody to tell you it's it's an event there. So, if you um, like to elaborate on that. So, obviously, like nearly everything else since, uh, since COVID and all the lockdowns, everything is very different now. Back before then, everything was a lot more open, uh, invite, obviously, uh, events and and parties or tastings or brand launches or what have you they were all a lot more frequent there was a lot more going on and they were a lot more open and then a lot of people left the industry from brand sides as well as from the bar sides a lot of people changed where they were working and how they were working when things started to open back up obviously venues didn't want to have time set aside for events and for an industry night or for anything like that and then brands didn't want to put money and time aside for doing events or tastings and trainings they wanted to move mass volume to make up make up the money lost over the last year or so and so in in the last while there hasn't been too much but i think it might be starting to slowly come back with with some events happening but i've seen a few that the the push for it hasn't wasn't done right or the just the word wasn't really put out it was kind of a oh i'm going to share this one thing and people will come because that's how it used to be i just you just had to put up a post on instagram or on facebook and it would it would always be a full night because people were always going out and now they're just not going out anymore so there was one there was one uh, tasting i went to and i was amazed that when i text the rep back he said oh i needed to confirm this because we're fully booked and I think he was, it's the biggest tasting I've ever seen because he had almost 100 bartenders. Is the tasting that you made me to come? Yeah. yeah. And he had almost 100 people show up and they were, ended up cr- in a pretty big venue and they ended up crowding the room and standing around because there was no more seats and that many people showed up. And then I've gone to other ones where they're like, oh, we'll wait another 20 minutes in case more people come because there's, 
That was my tasting, probably. <laughs> and so there's been a lot of stuff like that, and as well, in a lot of... Uh, even though Dublin's such a small city, it's kind of broken up into different areas, and as well, into lots of different groups and almost like cliques. So there's a lot of brands or events, or even it's just come down to the people who all work in these parts. It only there's a lot of the, it's only the people they know directly or their friends or a handful of key accounts or the neighbors from a couple of bars are always the only ones who get invited to certain things. If you use their product, uh, of course. Oh, of course, if you're a big a big account for them and you move a lot of their product, you're going to see them a lot more often and you're going to get to know them. But there are a lot of uh, teams within the industry that. There's a very, we only invite the people that are in our group chats and that are on our, uh, you know, are almost like on our speed dial. And if you're not one of our group of friends that we're out with every week outside of work or the people we go for drinks with after work or that kind of thing, then you're basically just not invited. Because yeah. to them, it's, to a, lo- to a lot of people, it seems it comes down to them having fun and going out and doing stuff and obviously it gets them it gets them uh it keeps them work related but a lot of them are like we're just going to keep this to ourselves instead of spreading and trying to get other people here especially now all of the new people who would have started within the industry in the last year or two and that are only starting out or who would have joined you know tried gotten a job and been a year or two as a bartender and then have to stop for nearly two years and then try and start again all of these people are aren't going to events uh there are some of them have started to do, do the likes of entering competitions but none of them know anybody like uh they don't go to industry events or nights out mostly because there's none on but because they also don't know the people who are organizing them so they just don't get invited because they're not they're not a friend yeah and it's also hard to fall in love with bartending if you don't meet new people and yeah. talk about ideas and get creative to see what everybody's doing. Yeah, it used to be a lot more open and there was a lot more yeah. chances to do stuff like that and now it's it's kind of gone away so it's almost less inviting for a lot of these people to want to stick around. Yeah, and it's not the, an easy subject to discuss sometimes because no. uh, not many people would like to listen to this. Uh, but it's true, unfortunately, this is how it works. And the, yeah, it's with the changing values in new generation of bartenders and how things should be adjusted for that. Is that a question? <laughs> oh, um... Well, that was basically it's something I've seen, I've noticed since I started working from from my first job, is, and it's something that over the years I've noticed a lot more. And I was only talking to someone about this yesterday. It's basically down to a lot of people in either large companies or that are running bars or restaurants or it's in kind of every industry everywhere really. They could have been. They've been there for a very long time, or they could be in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and to them, everything is. Oh well, this is how it's been done since the day I started. This, this is why it's still being done this way. These are my values from when, from how I was raised, and this is what's important to me. And a lot has changed in the world, and a lot of things are different now. And it's it's it changes very quickly, because every couple of years you have what you could basically call a new generation in the workforce in any kind of industry but it's kind of difficult to get it in in bar work as well because now bars in ireland are stuck in a very uh in a very old culture so so to say and the way they're ran isn't exactly really inviting to people who are starting out and also they're coming into the workforce with different reasons for wanting to work for wanting to be in the job that they're doing and they value different things so in some years everyone is oh i everybody was only looking for the highest paying job and they didn't care what it was if they were happy if it if it meant they went home and cried every night after work because they weren't happy or if they couldn't see their friends or their family it it was all just about money and then a couple years later that would start to change and people come in and say oh this is very toxic and i don't like it and it's not what i want i'm going to find a place to work where I'll make less money, but I I enjoy my work more, or I have more free time, or I can have more flexible work. And then it's it slowly changes every couple of years with a lot of different stuff. But I've seen far too many, uh, because I work in bars a lot, I've seen far too many bar owners or operators who are basically reluctant to see change and to accept it. And 
I can see in the next couple of years they don't have a really big issue with they already are having yeah, a really big issue with staff retention around, yeah. and when all of the the few people they have that have been there for so long eventually leave they're not going to be able to get anybody new in and they won't have had the time to train anybody up because they they just don't they're not offering something that anybody wants okay and uh, I think also as bartenders we should show more empathy to our uh, colleagues you know what oh yeah Like watching the Dublin Barter Exchange, the page kind of the comments, you know, somebody's applying for a job and say, I'm looking for work Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you see some comments really mean. Yeah, that's that's yeah. also in some of it. Some of it's the same. And on there's a lot of stuff on that page, and there's a couple of people who will go on and they'll see stuff like this, which is basically almost like trying to trying to bully someone or trying to shame someone for wanting to get a job that's better suited to their life. Mm -hmm. and there will, there's people who will r respond under mm -hmm. that and be like, ah, oh, come on, leave them alone. They're they're only new or they're only trying to start out or there's no need to be exactly. so harsh yeah. on them. Because in a couple of years' time, all of the people who run places like that aren't going to be around anymore, be it they've left the job or their place is closed or they move on to something else. And then there's going to be nobody left to, to keep the place running Yeah, because they've been... So, so reluctant to accept the way things are now mm. and it can be very intimidating for someone being like oh I'm, I've, got, I've gotten into this new career I've gotten added onto this like cool pri private uh, social media group and oh people are advertising jobs here I'm going to send someone a message and then they're giving out to me because uh, I didn't meet the requirements or I'm too young or, or you know I don't have enough experience I'm going to put up a thing and say oh I'm a student I can only do this many days a week is anybody hiring or I'm living in this part of town is there work around here going and then all of a sudden they get tens of people commenting on their posts saying oh you know you shouldn't you shouldn't be doing this that's laughable you can't ask for that much money when you have so little experience or you can't pick and choose the days you work you have to what's what's the right phrase to put it you have to live to work and not work to live yeah <laughs> I, look, I'm uh, following also the London uh, page, mm -hmm. the Bartender yeah. Association, and it's a big page. They put there their events, different brands, and uh, mm. people are much more nicer. And in, there in London, is the population is so mm. much higher. Yeah, I don't know what's your thoughts, Brian, on the. Yeah, it is fascinating. Like, and it doesn't take an awful lot for, I suppose, a very small group of people to derail something like that. That's the thing. Like, I think in general the wider industry is very po like you know it's quite positive in it, it more recent times as well and I think there is a lot of support when you go through the community it, when you meet people face to face anyway like the internet has a way obviously as well of like people just saying things because they're not there and, for, and they throw out stupid things but like it's probably only a very small number who are very toxic or difficult on that group yeah. and they kind of reflect then very badly on the whole thing um, yeah one of the things I, saw, I, I often think is like with what we've been doing is we, we tend to work with people who are quite good at it as well and quite open like so to a lot of the places that we're listed in or that sell our stuff are the ones that are more like progressive in the way that they deal with the industry and that's why they're open to doing this like in the early stages I used to come across a lot of people like they're just cynical to the point where they can't even see an opportunity anymore they're just like just wanted to fail just because it's something different you know yeah. and um you know you you talk to a bartender or particularly like a somebody who would become a bar owner potentially and they just wouldn't like they, they don't want to do it because they're kind of just like well if it's a bar owner like what's in it for me and you're like well what's in it for you is you own the bar and this is like this brings in a really good gp for you and your bartender's happier and everyone wins here <laughs> like so yeah. i don't understand what the problem is and they're kind of like no but i want to make that money that you're giving to the bartender and you're like okay so you already own the bar you're already making your full margin like on a, on a premium product price that your bartender is now upselling is that uh, like maybe 50 euro 100 euro yeah it's, it's just you know it's bizarre and that that greed of like you know i want it like and you're gonna also we kind of had to like go like do you also ask for like um like for guinness to, to give you their marketing funds as well like when they're mm. you know when they put a billboard up do you ask them to give your money because that's what like this is our marketing fund like this is yeah. This is the way that we grow the businesses through the bartenders, and it's just a more rewarding way because they're the ones who are selling it. They're making the money directly. We don't have, so we don't hire a, like a, a sales team of a hundred people sitting in an office somewhere, you know, doing yeah. all this sort of stuff or going out to bars and upselling and like this. This is the way we do it, and then um, it's it's always those ones who are the ones that are the like you know the group, you know them nearly like to me like they're the most toxic ones in the industry that are just like 
it's you know they can't see any change and they don't want any change. They deliberately want to keep things like quite abusive in a way, like towards their staff as well. And those staff just leave then, yeah. because we would sort of see it as this is a way of improving your bartender's capacity to to earn money without you paying an extra penny to them. Like, and then that's surely a positive. Like you know, because they're they're more likely to stay in the job. They're going to earn more from their career. They're going to be happier doing what they're doing. Like, can you not just get out of the way of that? Like, you know what I mean, yeah. and just let them do it. But they're, you know, they, they'll they'll push back, and then we kind of just like sometimes you just say to the bartender, like, I think you're better off out here anyway. Yeah. Like, you know, you're this is not a good place for you. And there's the thing is, there are other places to go at the moment. Like, there's there's lots of opportunities. There's good places to work, and there's really good operators out there who are doing great bars, like really exciting stuff. Um, you know, go and work with them and like build exactly. a career with them. There are so many opportunities right now, and uh, Look, I'm a person who doesn't like to change jobs every six months, but after the pandemic, I was like, I changed in a year, maybe three jobs. And a uh, few things, like the guy will call me, is like, oh, can you come at 12 o'clock to work? I'm going there, he's like, oh, can you go to Celtic shop and buy me a whiskey? I have a tasting. Or other things, like I had a, I work in a group where I had, I developed the menu and all this, and I spent like 5,000 euros on equipment. The guy mm-hmm. didn't have any problem. So when it come, we opened the restaurants, I said, we need to do training. He's like, no, no training. Mm. So the girl will come, or the, the guy, and it's like, it's a pint of Heineken or any beer. Mm. And it says it on the on the glass, but she's a student. She never worked in hospitality. It's like, what beer is that? Is it? Mm. It's like, it says it on the glass, <laughs> you know. And it was things like this that really, small things that annoyed me. It's how important is the training as well. Mm. And you need to retain the stuff. And yeah. There's lots of opportunities. Yeah, no, it undermines the whole thing. Like, I mean, that's, you know, it, you, you spent all the money, you've invested all that w- time and effort, and then, like, it breaks down at the last stage. Because, like, ultimately, like, the, yeah, the bartender is the, the, the final interaction with the customer that's there. So, like, for brands or for the bar, like, it's key that they are trained and that they know what they're doing. And, like, you know instantly when you go into a bar when you're in good hands. of The person knows what they're doing. They have their, their the whole place is their like realm that they have set up in such a way that they can like wor- function really efficiently there and they can look around. About it. It's like I think we have a really high standard of bartenders in Ireland as well. I think sometimes when you go to other countries, like I mean, not to be knocking the UK, but sometimes you go over and like they do actually they don't have a, as strong a tradition as yeah. we have, and like, particularly in Dublin, I think it's great. Like se- you have that traditional bartender that's like can take 10 orders nearly and, and just is pulling pints and going and getting stuff and I, you know it's not cocktails but like they're pouring and doing everything really fast and the service is incredible and there's a bit of interaction and a bit of crack and like yeah. it's welcoming um, and that, like that, that's it shouldn't be underestimated I think it has been underestimated by a lot of bars then just hire the cheapest person that they can find and who's willing to work you know at stupid times and all you're going well there has to be give and take like it is a career it, and like it's not just this transient job like you know it's you, you could, it's fine to bring new people into to the industry who are doing that as well but like your head bartender should be you know and the manager should be like somebody who's experienced and you know tr- well trained knows their stuff inside out you know I agree 100% with you with the, that Ireland has a great uh, bartenders in the industry hmm. so let's do a general knowledge rapid questions <laughs> if you don't mind yeah so who owns the brand Dos Hambres Miscal Dos Hambres oh is that the is that Brian Cranston? And there you go. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Jess, yeah. I can't think of what Jesse's there. A- Aaron <laughs> oh, Paul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a great miscal. Yeah. So one point to Brian. Nice. <laughs> I know we were talking about What's trade secrets. Sort of level of competition with money. Gran Coramino Horns, Horns the brand is made in Jalisco. It's an American. Gran, what is it, Grant? It's a new brand, Gran Coramino. He actually was recently in Dublin, in Blackforge. Oh. He's an actor. Right. Tequila. Couldn't tell you. It's not for sale here, is it? I'm not sure. <laughs> He's short. Not. He's short. Oh, um, Chris, uh, Chris, no, sorry. It's friends with The Rock. What's his name? <laughs> Chris Rock? <laughs> no, it's not. No, the short oh, guy. Um, He's a really good comedian, uh, funny comedian. I can't think. I of give you the point, oh, Brian. Kevin Hart, yeah. yeah. Ah, Hart, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ian Barrell, the global ambassador of rum. Uh, yeah, we are all familiar. Yeah. The last few years, he started a rum brand on his own. So it's a African Caribbean rum. Anybody knows the name? 
I still cannot pronounce it, and I have it in front of me. Um, I should know this because I mm. I only watched him do a talk about it a couple of days ago. Yeah, I've seen pictures of it. I can't think of the name of the brand. Iquiano. Yeah, I wasn't going to get that. Yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> really. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen a picture of the bottle. It's, like it's a great rum. I had the yeah. chance to taste it in Athens. Mm. Yeah. Uh, look, we're gonna taste the yeah. trade secrets rum as well here. <laughs> Hopefully, it's stacks up there for that. Yes. Ryan Reynolds owns his own gin company, but also owns a football team in yeah. Wales. What is yeah. the name of it? Of the football team. Yeah. Wrexham. There you go. I've watched the whole thing. It's gas. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. So I think Brian is gonna like this question. Which country drank, drank the most beer in 2001, 2022 per capita? Number one country drank the most beer. Czech Republic. There you go. Yeah. Well, of course he's going to know that. Yeah. yeah. Drank more than Ireland and Germany, yeah, yeah. per capita. So all domestic beer as well. Pretty much, they, well, mostly they drink their own beer. Yeah. Love it. Last question here. How much <laughs> How much did Diageo pay George Clooney and his friends for... To oh buy Casamigos. One, one billion, wasn't it? Oh, exactly. Yeah. Was it 1.1? It, it, was, it was 1 billion no, dollars, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. All the articles say 1 billion yeah, dollars. 1 billion dollars. Wow. Nice Which was like, what was it at the time? It was like slightly less in euros, wasn't it? It's impressive. Or slightly yeah. more. But yeah. it was a flat 1 billion dollars, yeah. Good for him. He needed it. He <laughs> <almost won't laughs> it. So, what's your thoughts on this? <laughs> I always ask this: the th- your thoughts on celebrities owning their own brands? Like, would you like to say anything? Like, uh, I don't know. Some of them are fun, and they, I mean, they've made a huge impact on the market in the sense of like they're all worth the fortune. Like, um, it is interesting the way that people follow celebrities so much. Yeah, I don't know. I like don't the thing with Prime right now, fifteen euro a oh bottle. God. It's is it's a, it's insane. Yeah. 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 Some of the the celebrity alcohol brands have been done well and have good liquids and a good story and to to some extent it's like the best way to look at it is if you weren't famous and didn't have this money is this a thing as, as you as an average working person would have as a dream mm. as I've always wanted to do this. Yeah. If you're there as the really rich person you're like well someone else has one and they made a lot of money and I want a lot more money than I have now, I'm going to do it too, mm. then that's probably not something you should be doing. Especially when they're going to making a... When they're going somewhere and making a spirit that's specific to a region and it has a culture and it has a history and they're just coming in and saying, hi, I'm here now, I want to take this over and they just kind of kick everything out of the way. Yeah. That's... There's absolutely no need for that. There really isn't. And it's also, like, there is a, there's a real, there is a toxic side of it in the sense of like, I thought, you know, like tequila and mezcal. Like, uh, th- there's a, it's uh, uh, obviously it's been around for forever, but it's also there's a, it's a hugely water intensive pro- uh, spirit to make. Okay. And it causes like issues locally as well. Then like um. Also, it takes six, eight years to it grow. It takes an enormous amount yeah. of time, and they've obviously just kind of rode in and just gone, yeah, this is ours now, even though there was up, they're, they're mm. buying it from producers who are genuine producers who, you know, people should be just buying from those producers and giving them the billion dollars. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Why are you buying this brand from a celebrity who is already mega wealthy? And then, like, yeah, so it's co- like, I remember going to a, a talk that um, yeah, Gillian Boyle did uh, on tequila and mezcal, and um, she was saying, like, one of the things from, from producers locally is that they're often saying like you know the thing that they need people to do is to drink less of tequila mezcal because it is causing uh, environmental issues locally and then that knocks for environmental issues knock on to economic issues because lack of water causes huge uh, problems locally as well so like it is kind of that is the really dark side of it and like these brands are like selling enormous amounts of it and it does take away from the local like um, power to make make money from an industry that is very genuinely from there and that they should be making you know it's in the same way as like you look at so like certain wines from france or like irish whiskey and these things are from certain areas and those families that are you know have traditionally been involved in it for generations and have like put the the slog and the hard work and you look at the guys who when they're digging up like the plants it's enormous labor intensive uh, industry they should be making that money as a reward for tequila and mezcal having its time in the sun now being like this hugely popular incredibly fast growing product 
um, and they're not really they are to a degree they're obviously profiting from making it but they're not making that sale okay. money like the billion dollar like mm. money so they're making a production value uh, selling it then to, um, to to these big you know celebrity brands so yeah, it's kind of an odd one, and I don't think it's sustainable in the long term either. So, like, yeah. I don't think it's six, eight years to grow these things, and then it's gone way bigger than they expected. So, also, I think it's really hard to find tequila right now, like, uh, yeah, like blanco. Mm-hmm. So we have two minutes left, Jordan. I just wanted to ask you really quick about the Camp Run Mock that you visit almost every year since uh, I know you. Mm, I don't know if I. I don't know if I have enough time to even get into what, everything about What's this. so special about it and what is the criteria and why you keep going back to that uh, um, in, in USA for the... Well, because I've been invited and you, you can only go if you've been invited. It's How do you get the invitation? Do you have to know it's somebody? basically a bartender's educational summer camp for a week in Kentucky and to apply the, at the moment, this year applications have already closed and everybody's been accepted that was only last week uh to apply you fill out an online anonymous application it's basically almost an essay form uh there's it asks i think it's four or five questions and then those questions go off it has nothing to do with affiliation to brands where you work what country you're in uh there's no names are used in anything and so it's it's basically down to you answer these questions and the people who run the company and run the organization sit down and I don't know how they how they pour through all of these applications but they figure out the right people to bring the people who kind of need to go and also the people that are the, the right ones to be there who not most of them don't really know what it is they're getting into when they first apply and when they go and it's kind of like going to a bar show lots of people will go for the sake of having a big party weekend and thinking they're going to get loads of free stuff and just for fun and to drink and to blow some steam and then there's the people who go and they're up early and they're the first ones in and they're organizing meetings with people and going to the educational seminars and networking and trying to better themselves and the industry they're in and somehow through these few questions they figure that out and only really invite the people that are best suited to go is it all day it's Events like it's seminars all day. Wake, wake up to wake up to go to bed, seven or eight in the morning. You're you're up going for breakfast. You get some breakfast. As there'll be a quick little talk at breakfast, and then on a bus out to a distillery. Sometimes you do two distilleries in a day. That distillery has basically been closed down, and all of you get to go in and meet the owners, the people who run the place, and with a lot of bourbon distilleries. There's sometimes the distiller has been there for sixty plus years, and He's a very busy person, but he's taken the day day aside to sit down and have lunch with you guys and bring you through every aspect of the distilleries, the process, start to finish. There's a lot of stuff you can you don't really get told from a lot of brands and from a lot, like if you do the normal tours, you can ask questions like, oh, we don't know, or we're not allowed to tell you that. But when we're there, it's like what everything we need to know we're told. If we ask questions, we get the answers. And we also, luckily enough, get to see things in in action that uh, the general public would never be allowed to go see. I love it. And what a great uh, way to bring bartenders together. Thanks, guys, for both of you having to be here. And thanks for the bottle of uh, gin. Yeah. And for the rum that we didn't taste yet. So that's a trade secrets gin. You won seven awards with Mm -hmm. the Navy strength, Strength and the London Drive. Seven for the London Dr- or seven for the London Dry and, and uh, the World Gin Award for the Navy Strength was the only one we entered so far. And you're working on the ram? Yeah, it's yep. ready to go. Um, labels have arrived and um, bottles are here and yeah, ready to go. We'll have to go up and do that bottle and label it soon. That'll be Fantastic. All very soon and yep. we're working on a little launch for that. Any last few things like where you can find the before we close very because we're run out of time where you can find your gin your like in a bar or a di- you yeah. can buy it from the bartender collective or the traded secret gin it's available in some bars around town like you'll see it, but it, it, you'll find everything on the bartendercollective.com is our website as well and all the information about the company and 
some of the people involved and um and you can buy directly from there as well if you wanted to we set, we ship them out from there and uh, if i have my own bar it's any specific distributor or we work with um classic drinks grand crew beers as well they spe- they sell spirits as well so we sell um let's uh celtic whiskey um so yeah we've we quite a and good range of distribution also do direct as well and we and we have a we have our own wholesale license as well and so you we have your own merchandising i saw on the website yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so sure. um we have some stuff there with nice bar kits and different things as well we sell and so yeah all, yeah. all the extras yeah. yeah so anything less you would like to say brian before we go no um, just thanks for having us it's yeah. great it's been great to chat and thanks for bringing us in go to kind of go through what we're doing and yeah thank you so much and uh, i think i learned a lot today <laughs> cheers and I think we could go for another hour, but oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so you never know. <laughs> Thanks so much, and uh, yeah. Cheers, man. So thank you for joining us on the What Color Is Your Drink episode three. We had Brian Tracy from Trouble Brewing and Bartender Collective. We had a very good guy, genuine, who invites me to all the events that he goes, uh, Jordan Dangan from the Bartender Coll- Collective, Copland Distillery, and so many more stuff I, I cannot catch up.